beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Welcome back, everybody. This is Three Black Men. I'm Trey. I'm Sam. And I am Robert. Man, man, we probably got all the way off right there. Right? That, was, that was out of order. Robert supposed to be talking about party people right now. We're not doing that. You wasn't even, you wasn't even ready for that. Uh, but we're going we to switch it up just a little bit today uh, because the topic for today is actually going to require us uh, put in put in Robert in, in not the hot seat, uh, but but a, a, a seat that he is uh, not that, that y'all may not be accustomed to him occupying in this podcast. Um, because as some of you may know, and probably more of y'all do not know, uh, Robert is currently working on his thesis. Um, and it's a topic that I personally am fascinated by. And I figured that some of y'all might be intrigued by it as well. Um, and without me saying too much more, I want to invite Robert just to give us the general um, thrust, like a quick synopsis of um, what, what, what the overarching theme is and, and what it's in response. Mm, okay, thank you. Uh, hot, hot seat. Um, hot. Um, <laughs> hot. <laughs> so I have really been working a lot in school to study uh, the intersection of Black liberation theology and womanist theology. And I came to this study because of really um, my time in white evangelicalism and those things that I have seen and I have heard and experienced in those spaces. And and really how it made me one, an enemy of my blackness and an enemy of the state <laughs> of my people. And the way that it forced me to divorce myself from ways of being, ways of knowing uh, that, that, that were intuitive, right? And, 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 what I loved that uh, Black liberation theology gave to me and womanist theology have given to me is that I could be my whole Black self when I come to my faith and when I come to the biblical text. And uh, both have been such a gift in my life. And I first came to Black theology and it breathed life into me. <laughs> and James Cone, who had been so demonized, Ooh. I thought, you know, I thought that James Cone was that boogeyman lurking in the corner, and he must be saying some crazy things. Um, but when I started to read him, yo, he was not saying anything that was really wild. <laughs> um, and then um and then when I found womanist theology, they really gave me a confidence of coming to the scriptures, of uh, being iconoclastic, uh, of coming to the scriptures for the sake of 
a generative society uh, and the ways that Black women bring their sacred experiences and their sacred spaces to the text for the sake and the good of the whole. And uh, yeah, and so anyway, so looking at the intersections of both of those uh, throughout my time in school really gave space uh, to thinking about particularly well, what does God have to say to black men? Which I didn't, I didn't go into school thinking about that. But uh, my research started to uh, unearth this cry within me, as, particularly as I was looking at womanis, womanism, I started to think, I love these experiences that black women are having uh, especially when I was looking at my unraveling around the person of Hagar. And I loved that Black women were able to name their experiences as they were coming to the biblical interpretation of Hagar. And they were able to name all of these things within the text that I could not see. And then they were able to apply it to current day struggles in all of these dynamic ways. And, I, and then they were looking and critiquing black liberation theology and patriarchy uh, in all of these ways. But I started to see uh, what, I, what I would say are gaps because I, I, I thought, well, patriarchy is a bit more nuanced than that, right? <laughs> um, who is answering the gaps of how black men experience patriarchy? how we um, uh, subjugate one another, how we experience uh, patriarchy uh, in how white men uh, subjugate us, how black men subjugate black women, um, who is speaking to that in a nuanced way? Why, why do we enter into this patriarchal system? And so it's not enough to just say patriarchy in a general way and then when white women say that they want patriarchy to end, do they not know that they are actively uh, adding to patriarchy and that when they are calling for it to end, a lot of um, their power is about to, um, they about to lose it swiftly. <laughs> um, and so I started to think of there needs to be uh, uh, a hermeneutic and a theology for black men specifically where black male identity is a, there needs to be a repository for black men to come to the scriptures with their sacred spaces and with their uh, sacred experiences. And over time, all of uh, the download of a whole hermeneutic and a framework started to develop within me. And uh, yes, yeah, so that, so essentially I started to develop this hermeneutic at the intersection of, of, of womanism and black liberation theology, because although womanist critique identified that, that black uh, liberation theology is decidedly from black men, 
black liberation and black liberationists were speaking for all of black society. And, and so they weren't, they, although they were male, black male, they didn't create their hermeneutic for black men. Right. And so I want to, I wanted to create something specifically for black men when they come to the scriptures and for society. And that's uh, what I wanted to create uh, in a nuanced way, embracing the beauty of both of these structures. Yeah, man, I think that's heavy. And you hit on a lot of very, not only important, but interesting things there. One of them being like, we talked about all of how, how James Cone was like demonized, basically called everything but a child of God um, in, in a lot of spaces. And I think that points to something important that the lens through which that demonization is done is one that assumes that there is a perspective that is more valid, more authentic to the truth of the Bible and the gospel and, and the truth of God. Right. Um, and often in our America, that perspective that, that is assumed as, as the correct one, the default perspective is that of white men. Mm -hmm. And every single um, hermeneutic or theology that we put an adjective in front of is viewed as a deviation from that, whether it's Right, like we got like feminist theology, and then there's womanist theology and black liberation theology. We got queer theology, and there's all these different things. Like any time that you are, ex any any time that you plan on deviating from whatever the norm is, which we don't name it, but it's typically the uh, white heterosexual uh, cisgender male, norm, and you have to warn people by putting an adjective in front of it, and uh, it just kind of makes it easier to go ahead and demonize people like, oh, they're not doing real theology. They're doing black liberation theology or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, what you brought up is that like black liberation, I think what you just said is that they weren't speaking for, for black men and, and or at first they didn't think that they were, they, they didn't assume to be or present to be, right? They thought they were speaking for black people in general. And what womanism did was then highlight the fact that like, oh, I think there's a lot of blind spots in this as it pertains to black women, right? And then what that did is, is, is I love what you've done. He's like, you know what? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I would say that that was a valid critique of theirs. But then, okay, what blind spots have we left out and what it means to be a black man specifically in all of the various ways that, truth be told, one of the things that I've learned from womanist theologians is of all of the ways that I have tried to emulate being a white man without even having recognized it. <laughs> um, so, so what is it about like my theology, you know, way I, I do the Bible that that has led me to that conclusion? And it seems as though like what what you got going on here provides a platform to examine that in a very meaningful way. So that that's exciting to me, and one of the reasons I wanted or was was about this here on three black men because we happen to be three black men <laughs> who could benefit from something like this yeah um i especially appreciate it because uh there is a lot that's unsaid there's a lot like okay so one of the things that i sort of struggle with with coming out of um, mainstream white evangelicalism and reformed theology was that there was really nothing for me to grab hold to 
that my um that I could really interpret my experiences through right um uh, my experiences helped shape my worldview help um help me to understand God as I read to Bible to to attempt to get to know him right uh in hopes that he would reveal himself through me uh so to have a hermeneutic right that is for me um even if we don't have to have the same walk of life you know what I'm saying um but to, but to just have something that like yo there's black Christian men that see God the way that I see him, that feel him the way that I feel him through their different experiences. And it's not what, it don't have to be cookie cutter. It doesn't have to be what um, I was sort of always told or taught it had to be via fundamentalism, right? And I hate, I mean, I, I know those different, um, Trey, you talked about like throwing those different uh, precursors on at the beginning. And I hate that that has to happen because that like, like you're right, that does demonize it. But I'm like, this is just Christianity through the lens of black men. And that shouldn't be controversial. That shouldn't be any, you know what I'm saying? Like, first of all, I'm glad that my brother Rob, you know, has had this on his heart right um because that's amazing to know some like to know you and why you're doing this um that's my claim to fame outside of <laughs> like that's my claim to fame no um but this is christianity um and i i think it's a shame for me um because this is where we see like uh, the racism that's still in the church, right? This is, there's, there's still that, like there's an entire group of people, right? Body of people in the church that has still been marginalized, right? And now, thank God, my brother Rob like has had this on his heart to develop a hermeneutic to help, to again, reach into the margins, right? to be the voice or to help people find a voice for them to gravitate toward God. You know what I'm saying? I think that's dope. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I struggle because I'm not unaware that black men in our communities can be oppressors. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not unaware, yeah. right. There is a privilege yes. that in that we carry in our maleness within our communities, right? In the larger space of society, we are marginalized, right? But in our communities, we play different roles. Yeah. And in our church communities, we play different roles. Um, in the academic settings though, in, in, in church academic settings, right? We, we have different roles, right? And, and so in, the, in, in that scope of things, I'm hoping to add another dimension. And we know as black church people that our ways of knowing mm -hmm. are not honored. And, and to that point of what you're saying, Sam, I wanted to lift up that a black male way of knowing should be honored. We have other ways of knowing and seeing and perceiving and understanding the divine 
as black as descendants of black slaves that are beautiful of intuiting the divine of hearing our savior's voice of coming to the scriptures with our fullness with our full bodies with the full breadth of our experiences and i wanted to honor the expansiveness and so one of the things that i do in my research is make space and i call it a black male hermeneutic because it's that a is part of that a is mine but i wanted to give space for so many different black men and their experiences and i have tenants that I list in that. And some of the tenets are sacred brotherhood and sacred experiences and sacred spaces. Some of those sacred spaces I realize are troublesome, right? And so we bring in to those spaces both joy and terror. And, you know, I was naming that earlier before we got on this um, recording. And for example, a barbershop. For some of us, that is a refuge. And so we bring the collected joy of that refuge, a barbershop, right? And that's that experience is joy. And how does that lead to biblical interpretation? We know that when we think of refuge, you know, God is our refuge and strength. For a Black man, we think of refuge places, a barbershop, yes. Do all Black men think of barbershops as refuge? No, no, we have heard so many, even in this pandemic, uh, who have named that the barbershop was a place of terror for them, right? We have heard from so many LGBTQ Black men that they were glad that the pandemic shut down the barbershops because that is a place of terror in a wilderness, not, not of encounter with God wilderness, a place of extreme terror. So we bring that knowing to the text when we read it, right? That's a way of knowing and a way of being in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So when we hear God is our refuge and strength and we think of refuge for some of us, yeah, I remember all those refuge places. Not, not all of us are thinking. And so we might preach the text like that. Yay, Black male, we know refuge. Yeah, y'all remember our refuge places. Do Are we all thinking refuge like that? No, <laughs> right? No, don't sit, don't. It's not a universal refuge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My bad, my, go ahead, no. oh, oh, I was going to say, I, for me, I think this is really dope because I see, like, two things. One, like, there, you see black men that are doing the work, right? That are not trying to push P for the patriarchy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that are, you know, that 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 honor and value and recognize the voices and contributions of black women, not only to um Christian spaces, but um <laughs> like in our world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> My bad, I got robbed when talking over. <laughs> but um but also too, I think like just hearing you speak, man, um, there's a lot of hope in that, right? Like hope that there can be a theology for future generations to go straight to, you know what I'm saying? Um, you don't have to, you don't have to be baptized in the waters of white Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like um, there's hope 
for future generations to know like, hey, um, I can find there's space for me here. I can find, I can lo locate myself in God. God has located me, right? There's hope. Um, so I, I just, yeah. Go ahead, Trey. Yeah, I think one of the things that you said earlier that really stuck with me is, is you named the fact that, yeah, Black men can be oppressors and, and have been in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to name that this isn't a project focused on or, or hermeneutic fo focused on, on um, giving a voice that ignores our complicity in certain things, yes. right? Um, and I think I think that's important to to name and and to celebrate because of, I I wrote a newsletter a, uh, a few weeks ago and I called it "We the Hyphenated," right? And I talked about all, all the different people who had to hyphenate their identities, whether you're African American mm -hmm. or such such, how everybody has to hyphenate themselves except for like white people. And, and my point was that um, in in adding that hyphen, we start ascribing all sorts of things um, that differentiate people from whoever doesn't have to be hyphenated. Mm -hmm. And I said in doing so, we've actually robbed. The, the, the unhyphenated people of a chance at self-examining and self-reckoning. Like we, we've robbed them of that opportunity by, by not hyphenating. And I was like, oh, why don't you just go ahead and hyphenate everybody? Like you, you don't get to just be American no more. You, you are European American, whatever. Like throw, throw that on there, white American. Like throw that on there so that we can, okay, so what does it mean to be that, right? And going back to my earlier point about how like, we got to throw all these adjectives in front of the theology. That same point, we haven't really examined um, in a meaningful way the the dark underside of some. Okay, I say we. We, we clearly have right. It's more, it's more, I, I, I'm, 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 yes, I'm using the universal we. But when I say we, I'm talking about y'all white people. Um, if you listen, <laughs> so be very pacific. <laughs> so, my bad. When I say that, um, like that 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 to me is an unfortunate aspect of like we just assume that oh this is theology. This is the way that this is to be interpreted, and because of that, we don't have to examine any of the. The, the, the consequences of doing that poorly, right? Um, so when we name this as and, and all right, name the fact that no, we, we have been oppressors and, and, and have uh, been oppressors black women and, and, and black queer black men in, in certain situations. I think that's important to name and um, an exciting aspect because if we were to throw an adjective in front of whatever the default theology is, maybe that would invite people to be honest about the fact like you wouldn't have to consider yourself a liberal just because you named the fact that when you're, yo, me sitting right here in this seat, like I've, I've been oppressive and I've, I've been a restrainer of people. Yeah, no, I, I most wholeheartedly agree. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, the image of my mind when I was con constructing this of of a kind of the beauty of of what is possible. You know, you, you talked about naming the complicity, and part of naming the complicity for me helps. What gives me courage is uh, is is beauty beauty before me helps me to name complicity. Mm -hmm. And so when I was constructing this framework, I was thinking about, um, 
I, I was thinking about black men and what we bring to the table when we when we take our true rightful place and we divest from toxic patriarchy and we are able to name our places of complicity with things that do not serve us and so I thought of black liberation theology and what it does offer the world and I thought of it like this beautiful plant uh, and growing strong and I thought of womanism growing strong as it critiqued uh rightfully so as it critiqued black liberation theology and it grew and grew and grew and grew and it and it has given so much to society and both plants growing strong and out of the midst of both of these intertwining um plants uh a black male hermeneutic from these two plants together offering something to society and the world and these liberative uh, theologies offer something to the world. And for me, beauty before me helps to name complicity. And in naming complicity, yo, now we're cooking with gas, right? Now we cooking. Because part of the reason why I study so many liberative theologies, and that is because I want to steep myself uh, in liberation. I want to dream dreams of liberation. I study so many types of theologies because I don't assume that one person has it all. I, that's why I study Muirista the, uh, theology. That's why I'm in indigenous thought. That's why I'm in... Um, all these different theologies, because I'm assuming that maybe together I can weave a tale, I can dream a dream that is bigger than my small heart can contain, right? And so I'm hoping that in the stream of that flow, um, a Black hermeneutic can be part of this tapestry. Um, yeah. So like, I, 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 I want to sit in a defense of this thesis, but all right, um, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, like you mentioned a lot of the research that has gone into this project. So um, where would you say, or, or what particular like sources, resources, what, 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 what things have fed into it? What, what really gets the juices going in terms of these? And what, what have been your strongest beacons uh, throughout this? Ooh, um my money is low from the research. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, so um, I, so it's funny, I have a book before me right now. Um, I've seen it. I, was <laughs> I got stacks on stacks on stacks. Um, so, uh, so there's uh, a book that I'm thinking of right now that I don't have. I'll name that first in its it's a book called uh, Hashtag Black Lives Matter. And it's, uh, and I think the subtitle is Towards an Intersectional Theology. And that I would say first is a beautiful, beautiful book. And I I'm blanking on the author and I'll try to include it in the notes. That is one of the most brilliant, brilliant books that I happen to 
stumble on uh on amazon and this yeah this brother is the truth he um is this theologian uh that I th- he wrote this book in the the past couple of years where he gives uh, a foundational um uh theology of black lives matter where he is going uh over the tenets of what it means to have an ethics of intersectional theology that includes black lives matter and so he actually uh gives a gives what it means to be a black lives matter theologian and so he does um black liberation theology womanist theology and queer theology in one um and so when i tell you that thing is the truth um, um that book is 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 really 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 good um and i just stumble on it, i'm like oh yeah and so i'm like yo this is all like this is and this is just a book that has added so much to my thinking. Um, I'm like, yo, we almost here. <laughs> We're almost at the mountaintop. <laughs> Preach, brother. <laughs> um, and then um, this book before me right now um, helped me is Black Theology of Liberation by Dwight N. Hopkins. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, so so many uh, y- y'all know James Cone got the hotness, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> theology. Um, yeah, just so many books. Uh, but I one that I'll name that never gets named is My Soul Looks Back. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> y'all be sleeping on that book, and I'm gonna name that till the day I go in the grave. To the the day I go in the grave. Um, so My Soul Looks Back. Um, and uh, so I also say Sisters in the Wilderness uh, for those uh, who aren't up on it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so so those form a lot of the, some of the, the, the thoughts that I have uh, on, on this. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, let me, let me double back on that Sisters in the Wilderness. Uh, seminal texts in, in the field of, of womanism, I, I think many people would, would uh, say. And uh, for the unfamiliar, typically, I, I just want to also drop in here that I fought the urge to go back and explain some stuff in this episode, stuff like define what Black liberation theology is and womanism is, for the simple fact that, like, I remember we articulated in season one, I believe, season one, season two, I don't know, one of them seasons we talked about our primary audience is us. us, um, us. And, and we, know what we're talking about right now. If y'all don't, go ahead, do your Googles. This is an invitation for you to meet us in the middle here. But what I will say is that um, Sisters in the Wilderness, what it does is it focuses on the story of Hagar or Hagar, depending on how you want to pronounce that, um, of the Bob, right? The, 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 the mother of the first son of uh, Abram <laughs> in, in the Bible. And um, it really situates uh, uh, womanism or uses a womanist hermeneutic to interpret the story of Hagar in a way that is not typical to the the, the hyphenless, the adjectiveless theology. Um, and one of the things that's talking to you is you had looked at this story, uh, the same story of, of Hagar through the, the this um, a black male hermeneutic lens. And um, I'm wondering if you would, would bless us by sharing a little bit about how, how that impacts, how that hermeneutic impacts that story for you. 
Yeah. And, and before I answer that question, I'll give one thought to Black theology for those who may not be aware of that. Do your Googles too, but uh, <laughs> too. So um, one definition from Dwight Hopkins on Black theology uh, is Black theology recognizes that God through Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit works with the poor as they learn to love themselves enough to practice their total freedom and create their full humanity on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. And I love that. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so, um, so looking at Hagar and her story, and womanists have so many great things to say. Uh, and there could be a full podcast just trying to unpack just one portion of what womanists have to say about it. But um, from, from a, a Black male hermeneutic, hermeneutical lens, I uh, let's just look at uh, Hagar's ex expulsion. Uh, from Abraham's house, um, um, and uh, let's let's sit with that thing for a minute. So, um, we know uh, from from Hagar in her uh, encounter with God in the wilderness that she she is sent back uh, to Abraham and Sarah, right? Uh, for those who are familiar, she's sent back. Um, after an incredible uh, encounter with God in the wilderness where, uh, <laughs> um, and I would just, I'm tempted to sit with that, but I'm not going to for the sake of your question. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then later uh, she's expelled uh, from, uh, from the house. Uh, also want to sit with that, but I'm not going to for the sake of your question. <laughs> <laughs> But what I but I want to focus on on when she is expelled, a, Abraham now uh, leaves her with little resources in this in this wilderness place in this deserted place, right? And her and now this this. Um, child now are left right in in this wilderness and what i what something i look at in in, in my work is black men have something to say about the child who cries in this wilderness and the god who encountered her earlier who said what ails you um is now back again and who has now heard the cry of Ishmael. And um, he responds to this child's cry is why he's here now. Um, and it's interesting why, what's, what's interesting is if you look why God came the first time um, to, to Hagar, but, it, but here now we know when you look at the text that God responds to Ishmael's cry. And, as black men bringing our full experiences uh, in the black male hermeneutic, we honor our sacred stories, our sacred experiences. We bring it to the text. 
as descendants of slaves, don't we know about the cry of young black children? Sit with that text. Don't we know about having a father who either purposefully expels us or is absent from the home for a variety of reasons? So when we're interpreting, we're not interpreting devoid of that information. We can bring something to this text. We know, let's sit with that for a minute. We don't, we can, you know, we, we don't have to like, so technically in this passage, no, we, we, we know, we know the pain of this story in a, in a very real intimate way of a father who abandons us. Either we know it intimately or we know the homies, <laughs> you know, we know we it's twice removed. Um, <laughs> and so what I do is I do a close up on Ishmael, actually. Uh, and then we have seen or we know someone from Ishmael's vantage point looking at Hagar. Mm -hmm. Right, not just only looking at Hagar, but then how do you look at your mama now growing up in that situation, right? So a black male hermeneutic is now concerned with the good of the whole, but now looking from the vantage point of one who's been abandoned, we know so many people who have, and I myself, I know this story too, right? Growing up when the, when the father was absent, having to grow up and be the man of the home, mm -hmm. right? So then what was it like for Ishmael to grow up wow. with, with your daddy abandoned you in the wilderness, right? And so we know wow. that there was provision. We know, you know, um, there's traditions that come from, uh, from Hagar providing of her own resources. It's, it's beautiful, the, 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 the traditions of Hagar rising up in her strength um, and providing uh, resources for the boy. But now also what happens to Ishmael growing up with his mother like that? What type of trauma does that introduce to this boy? That is what the black male hermeneutic is concerned with, yeah. is what does that produce in a family structure? Mm -hmm. I, I'm concerned with that. And black men, we know what that produces in a community. Because mm -hmm. we look all around our communities, we know single parent homes, what that produces um, and what type of trauma that produces. So when we're interpreting the text, we don't gloss over, oh yeah, Abraham left you out there like that with just a little flask. Cool. Oh, you grew up to be a mighty warrior. You And then it just keeps moving on. You got a wife and you moved on. Awesome. Um, and so that that's something that I, that I would look at. Mm. Yo, that's, oh man, it's, it's, it's so exciting to me because um, some of y'all know I have a passion for, for people bringing 
uh, their authentic selves to, to the test, right? One, one of the things that I appreciate um, about the, the, the liberation that comes from being honest about like all of the, the lenses that you bring to the text is that is that you get to sit there and and and, and have um, dialogue a uh, 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 discussion with the text like anytime you sit in the text it's never just a one-on-one -on -one conversation between you and god and there's all of your your experiences all of your your biases all of your your your, your prejudices all, all, all of those things come to the text with you and one of the things about like this that, that is exciting to me is that when you name all of those experiences that you bring to the text, it brings it alive in new ways. We're talking about a text that is at least, at the very least, um, at the very least 2,800, 3,000 years old. But sitting here and, and interpreting it through this lens, like just now hearing, hearing you talk about um, all, of, all of the ways that the story of Ishmael connects with uh, the story of many black men in these United States of America, like that was dope for me. Um, and that's coming from someone who, I, I wouldn't say I had the hardest life in the world. There's been some traumatic situations. You know, my father uh, uh, passed when I was a teenager and, and, and I said passed, he died. <laughs> Let's put that, uh, <laughs> that, that happened. Um, but just looking at that, it, it's, it's like, you know, Y'all make fun of me all the time because y'all train such a black preacher. I am. But I'm sitting there and that text is a lot of me in new ways that like service. And I see it. So bro, like, thanks, man. Like <laughs> 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 you feel me? Because we now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh patreon.com slash three black men. Uh think through it, pray through it, ask God <laughs> if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here, we have uh, some blog pieces going up. There's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon, patreon.com slash three black men. Go watch and, um, my kids ruin my videos. Go ahead. Watch, watch them, them. Them babies ain't ruin nothing, man. Matter of fact, there's, there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies. How about that, bro? <laughs>